Well, welcome here. Um, just to re repeat what the what the whole purpose of this and facing today's giants. Uh, th the session you're in is called Facing Today's Giants, the challenge of being the church in the 21st century. And uh, the, the kind of the preamble for it is this. When we survey the vast array of new Goliaths threatening our churches and our mission these days, it seems like we don't have a grid for this. Or do we? We'll take time to discuss the unique challenges facing the church in our culture today and how we can respond. So what we can expect to do is talk about, well, what are these Goliaths? What are these giants that we're facing in the 21st century? And then hopefully we'll get a chance to answer this question. Do we have a grid for this? Meaning like, you know, can we wrap our minds around this and everything? Uh, a little hint, the answer is yes uh, and no. And the uh, <laughs> solutions. We, you know, we'll hopefully talk about, you know, what can the church do? In, uh, in times like these. So, we're participating here right off the hop. Uh, and I know that I don't need to generate a list of the pressures on the church today, in these days. So, I'm going to get you to generate the list. With that in mind, what would you consider to be our Goliaths? The ones that have to do with us in the church today. That may be maybe not in the same way the church has faced, maybe the church hasn't faced these things in the same way before. So, go. Sexual brokenness. Sexual brokenness. Someone, or was that your answer? <laughs> okay. Um, well, I mean, we, yeah, we'll just call it sexual brokenness. That, uh, that covers a lot. And then there's some more specific uh, brokenness. No, <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll get it. We'll figure it out. Thank you. Militant atheism. Militant atheism. Wow. <laughs> okay. Uh, you probably understand what I say better than what I write. This is just <laughs> this is just window dressing. It's just to make it look like we've done something. <laughs> yeah. Relationship between church and Paul. Oh, okay. Uh, 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 well, let's call it uh, politics versus church. Because if it was all nice, then it wouldn't be a Goliath, would it? Politics versus church. Okay, sure. Wow, have we exhausted the list already? <laughs> or are you just taking a breath, probably? Uh, I would say battles like things like truth. 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 Okay, relative, relative truth. Yeah. Sure. What a new marijuana law. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, legalization. Uh, our church made a statement actually about it. The elders got together. We came up with a statement and we spoke about it. Uh, uh, legalization of marijuana. Bad thing. Well, you know, the thing is. At a certain point, things are happening so fast now yeah. that the church is kind of watching it. Just we're we're a little bit stunned. I think we're just watching it happen, and it, it's almost like we gotta you know stop and go. Okay, this has come up. What is what do we think about it as the church? And then <laughs> communicate it. And then here's another thing that comes up. What do we think about it as the church? And then communicate it because a whole bunch of things have already gone down the pike that we're not going to get back again. 
Yeah, go ahead. And you just brought up one where things are speeding up the route and we changing so quick, whether it's uh, we're facing things like technology, technology that mm. uh, has its own uh, things that we weren't even dealing with 10 years ago. It's years true. Ago. It's true. Acceleration of, uh, well, new wrong things. New wrong things. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying technology is wrong, but all it, what, what it does is it multiplies the capacity for, yeah. for sin. Uh, that, that's just the way that it is, and we're... We're not even, we've hardly even thought of that. And yet, oh, we've got a whole younger generation, they, they're right in it, and they're, they're well acquainted with these things. Okay, anything else? You mentioned marijuana, but just general substance abuse. Totally, sure. Yeah. Substance abuse. We'll stop when we get to the silver mine. <laughs> Yeah, go ahead, Bethany. I think people getting offended with the church and leaving, I think that's like an age-old problem, but especially young people. Mm, okay. Offense with the church. And, uh, you know, evidenced by all the statistics which seem to indicate that the church <coughs> is emptying out. And also compromise? Oh, that, that's another, the whole thread of compromise and, and churches in compromising. See, um, we have to remember... Compromise, yeah. We have to remember that these Goliaths, our assumption is they're all standing on the hill facing us and challenging us. Mm -hmm. But once we wake up a little bit, we find out the Goliaths are standing right in our midst mm -hmm. as well. They've gotten in. How did that happen? Yeah. Well, I mean, we can talk about that, but I'm sure you have an idea of how that, how, how the Goliaths, how the things, the challenges the church is facing right now, they're right in our midst as well as on the outside. So talk about pressure. The church is under pressure now from the outside, which is not new. And I mean, Jesus said in this world, you'll have trouble, mm -hmm. you know, but be of good cheer for I've overcome the world. Mm -hmm. And, but by the same token, now there's pressure from the inside and we're seeing the results of that. The church is... Uh, is cracking at the uh, in its foundations. Uh, you're, we're finding the church divided. We're finding the church uh, compromises on that list. Uh, you know, <clears throat> we're starting to reject the uh, the inspired word of God. You know, like uh, I just loved what Ron was talking about. These he was, he was talking about Barney and blessing Barney last night. But what that really was was talking about the foundations yeah. of our family of churches and the inspired word of God. I'm so glad that that's still there yeah. because there are many churches that are trying to solve. Uh, they're trying to solve uh, this problem with setting the Bible aside. And uh, boy, that's not going to really help the church at all. So the church is starting uh, to experience pressure from the inside that's immense actually. Mm -hmm. Pressure from the inside as well as the outside. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, I'll, uh, yeah, go ahead. Everyone. I was just thinking, I don't know if it's included in the sexual brokenness, but mm. the, just the gender, gender confusion, and, mm. and especially in, in education. Yeah. Now. Yeah, education is huge. Gender issues, uh, homosexuality, um, uh, well, I mean, the list is growing uh, as we go. Uh, you know what? Let's just add um, uh, sex before marriage. 
because that one's a sin too, isn't it? Um, yeah, it seems like the church in some of the battles that it's lost, it's almost forgotten. <laughs> some of these things, that those things are sins as well. And uh, yeah, there. Uh, I'll add a couple. Uh, have I got a couple here? You guys have done really, really well. Consumerism, Consumerism or materialism? Absolutely. That's that's another thing that the church is facing in North America, especially. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna add one, and I'm gonna call it checking the box. Anyone know what that's referring to? Anyone can read my mind on this? Dealing with a religious sort of perspective that it's an outside appearance. Wow, that's really profound, Norm. That's not even uh, no. That's like in a whole other league. Higher than what I was thinking. Wow. I was actually thinking of checking the box. I'm in way over my head. That's evident. Okay, now that you all know that I'm literally thinking of checking the box, what am I thinking of? The summer jobs. Absolutely, the summer jobs program. Now, do we have any Americans in here? Okay, very good. Uh, we love Americans. <laughs> so just wanted to say that. Um, yeah, the, the checking the box thing. Do you know what that is, Dane? Have you kind of read any? I know that. I know you guys are like way up. There's so many articles about Canada in the American yeah. press. <laughs> yeah, we can tell you all about what's happening with Trump and, and etc. But it's a little tougher to flow the other way. The main news agencies don't manage to get up here much. <laughs> um, what it was was our, our present government. There was a summer jobs grant program that many people accessed. It's to help students who are, you know, looking for that summer job, but the, the organization employing them, you know, they're, they're, they don't have the money necessarily to hire them for a really good wage. So the government, you, you, you fill out a, an application and the government gives a grant so that you can hire that student or, or whatever. Churches and ministry organizations have been using this summer jobs grant for years and years. All the Christian camps and LBE is, uh, you know, they've benefited from this summer uh, job, the summer jobs grant program. Living well, Bible say what? Living Bible Explorers. Yes, LBE. Thank you very much, uh, Peter. Um, so, yeah, that's right. I'm assuming we all know, but we don't. Yeah, Living Bible Explorers is a children's ministry in the inner city of Winnipeg. Anyways, um, just this past time, all of a sudden, another little box to check off. It ends up on the application. And the box to check off, I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but it basically says things like, uh, you know, if you're checking off the box, that means that you are agreeing with the, the federal government in their view of, uh, you know, a woman's right to choose, you know, all the things regarding abortion and everything like that, and that there'd be no discrimination based on, you know, etc etc and you need to check off this box now there were many churches and other organizations that they, they, they can't in good conscience tick off like well yeah we're totally okay with the uh, you know the pro-choice movement and etc etc they couldn't do it even though even though the jobs they're all like they are summer camps and things it's not a job 
you know, protesting outside an abortion clinic or something. Um, now, not knowing what to do, the uh, charitable organizations got counsel, you know, on, on what, you know, how do we approach this? Because we can't check off the box in good conscience. But we don't think the question's a very fair question, you know, especially since of the kinds of jobs and everything. So the advice they got was don't check off the box, but put a, uh, an explanation of what the job is and why, in good conscience, you can't check off the box. Um, and 100% of those applications got rejected. So um, all along the way here, we've had uh, so many churches and ministry organizations scrambling to uh, try to maintain some vestige of their, uh, of their summer programs without this grant money. And that created uh, a fair debate uh, in, you know, in political circles and, and in the church as well. And the question is, <clears throat> uh, what other things might this box end up on? Could those things be on like a clergy residence? Uh, allowance, which is which allows for people who are making a living off the gospel, actually any religion, whatever clergy from any religion, um, you get a tax break because generally speaking the religious organizations can't pay them a whole lot. So you get a bit of a tax break. That's traditionally been there. Is that box going to turn up there someday? Or, you know, the questions like that is starting to make the church nervous. And it represents another form of pressure that is being put on the church, which is financial pressure. And uh, some of that pressure is actually coming from the government, mm -hmm. saying, we want you to do this thing that you can't in good conscience do, and then we'll reject you. And then try to maintain yourselves from there. So, just a little quick explanation of checking the box. Yeah, so it can, uh, it's created a lot of, uh, oh, use of building. You know, religious organizations, they, they get a tax break on their property tax. Mm -hmm. And it's actually fairly hefty when you consider how many, you know, how many square feet you're dealing with and such. And if the city could get their hands on that. Um, is there a box that's going to appear there regarding how you're using your building? You know, are you making sure that whatever you're doing, you're not doing things that, you know, that contravene da 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 da, da and that contravene uh, the government's ideas of what's right and wrong these days. So, checking the box. Um... <coughs> Yeah, I think we probably can, we'll leave it there for now. You have a great idea of the kinds of things that we're facing here in the 21st century as the church. And I'm not sure it's going to get better. I don't want to be a harbinger of bad news and all of that, but I feel like it might get a little worse before it gets better uh, in terms of how far uh, the government might go, and how far these pressures might uh, might might how mu how far they might reach to touch us. Like like for example, like the one uh, like for homosexuality, for example, we know as the church that there is. I think in America, it's gone a little bit further. The idea that there is something wrong with trying to tell somebody who is same sex attracted that uh, that they can find help. Even that they can find help in Jesus, if even if they don't want this, um, the, the idea has has uh, has got has come to the surface that if you counsel somebody, even as a, a religious person, as a pastor, you counsel them in in a way that doesn't affirm whatever uh, you know homosexual leanings they have or whatever, 
then you're doing something wrong. That's the first thing. The next thing is there's a, a they've, they've kind of taken a big rubber stamp and called everything that has to do with counseling a homosexual person, helping them come out of that lifestyle, they call it, does anyone know? It starts with a C. Say what? Homophobia. Conversion oh, therapy. Conversion therapy. Yes. That's what you're doing. Everything's conversion therapy. And conversion therapy is, uh, is anathema to the world. It's bad. And in fact, in some states, it's illegal. Uh, in the United States and in Canada, I know that uh, you know one of the parties uh, that was up for election in Manitoba. That was one of their. That was one of their party. One of their ten values that they're going to make sure conversion therapy is illegal in Manitoba. <laughs> I'll tell you. So so now that's starting to that's starting to broaden out a little bit and starting to touch churches in ways that it hasn't touched us before. So, yeah. Um, transgender issues, we, we know this. The heartbreak of parents uh, and children being separated by schools getting in the middle of it all and a school being the advocate for a child who's experiencing gender dysphoria and where the parents aren't even allowed to say anything or do anything unless they agree, unless they embrace. Uh, so difficult. There's some strange things happening uh, in our world these days. So I guess we'll just move on to the other side of this. Okay, these are our Goliaths. You've done a great job of identifying them. And the question, another part of the question in the, the, the topic is, do we have a grid for this? The, uh, the question behind the question is, have we seen this before in our lifetime? And I think the answer, at least the first answer, is no. We've actually never seen this in our lifetime. Uh, it, we've never been this way before in Canada in our lifetime. And the reason I would say that is because of this. Historically, what's been the playbook morally for all of Canada, the church and the government? The Bible, absolutely. The Bible is actually the basis of all British law, which is the basis of all Canadian law. And, and in society, morally, the Bible was understood in general to be the, 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 the plumb line, to be the standard. Now, that does not mean that people followed that standard. There were lots, I mean, we know that all through history there have been people who have been immoral, people who have gone against the word of God. The only thing is there's a difference from then to today. Then... Well, people who were acting immorally or sinning according to the word of God, they never claimed that they weren't sinning. They knew that it was wrong and they didn't care, which is a whole different thing than we're experiencing today. Because uh, back in the day, you could appeal to the moral standard from the word of God and no one would argue with you. Mm -hmm. They would know that it's wrong. They might say, I don't care. But they wouldn't tell you, no, I have a standard actually that's better. Fast forward to where we are right now in 2018. We're living in a society where a change has happened. They've moved on from at least acknowledging in name that the Bible is the moral standard for our society. That has ended. 
uh, you know, if, if, you know if, if we didn't notice it, well, <laughs> it's time to notice it. That uh, the world around us doesn't have the Bible as their moral compass. Not even, as I say, it's not even on. It's not even on the ship anywhere. They don't have a moral compass. But all human beings need to have some moral code, whether they're looking for the Word of God or not. And our society, and Canadian society, I say, I think to our shame, Canadian society has been out front in building their own compass, making a new morality. And I, I saw this coming when I was a high school teacher. And this was like way back, early 90s. Um, the school divisions were starting to talk about values education. And up to this point, they really didn't need to because values education, you know, it was expected that that would happen in the home. And in general in society, people had, a, had an idea of, of what morals and values were. But the school divisions, they were starting to talk about creating a values curriculum. And I remember, I remember along the way being invited to take a look at this. Take a look at this values curriculum. And I thought, I don't know. I don't want to. I have a feeling, because they knew that I was a believer. I have a feeling that I, I was being, uh, well, what would it be? To be a figurehead. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Look, he likes it too. Uh, and I knew that I knew there was something wrong. Uh, and, uh, you know, looking at how things have come out, uh, I think I was right. And that is that the values that the world is embracing, they sound wonderful. Like things that we'd all want. Tolerance, acceptance, plurality. Um, you know, all of these things are, are you know, they're, they're things you go, well, nobody can argue against these things. But the world has actually found a way to make it immoral and unacceptable even though these are all really good words and I mean the secret's pretty easy they just redefined all the words yes. like tolerance for example like tolerance means that you have people who disagree on something but they get along in general that is the fundamental part of the definition of tolerance is disagreement that is that you actually don't agree on something but you get along anyways That's, we all need that that's wonderful. Except what the world, the way the world def defines tolerance as is um, you, can't, you can't disagree on anything. You actually have to agree on everything. You have to value and embrace everything that everybody says. Otherwise, what are we called? Intolerant. intolerant. <laughs> well, then we quickly go from intolerant to haters. And then all kinds of words with the word phobe at the end of it. Like, it's actually kind of, I'd laugh if it wasn't so terrifying that we're being called every kind of phobe there is, and they're coming up with these interesting names and trying to brand these things and everything. Oh, it's crazy. Anyways, do we have a grid for this? The first part of the answer is no, we don't have a grid for this. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I'm really glad to be doing this seminar with you because I have a chance to, to tell you, and that, I'm telling you something you already know. And that is that we are a generation in Canada and in the United States, I think the same trend is happening. We're a generation that has never been this way before. You are the church. Uh, and uh, we are the church in a generation 
where the church has to face things that in its life, in our lifetime, it's never faced before. That's a tall order. It makes us want to run to God for that middle thing. First, so what do we do? And I think, you know what, I think probably the first step is realizing all this. Because the church is busy. The church is, they got their head down. The church is working. We're trying to advance the kingdom. And I think what's happening is we're missing what's going on all around us. Um, and Bethany, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like I feel like what's happening while the church has its head down working is uh, we are experiencing the ideological theft of our young people. That is, the world, along with its media machine, is really good at selling ideas. And while we've had our head down, while we've been silent, the world has been educating young people uh, in the church, educating them in godless philosophy. And um, so they're at a, at a huge disadvantage. And then when they silently go out the door or whatever happens, we're going like, what happened? What happened to our young people? Um, we, we need to be aware of what's going on. Uh, what's happening? I mean, it's the enemy ultimately. Uh, you know, our job is not to pick out human beings to get mad at. Uh, we're not allowed actually to hate anybody. Right? <laughs> I mean, we're not allowed to hate God. We're not allowed to hate our brothers and sisters in Christ. And then Jesus seals up the last loophole and says we're not allowed to hate our enemies either. We're supposed to love them and pray for them, actually. So that's all the human stuff. As far as the, the enemy goes and all the spiritual backdrop to this, man, is he ever a puppet master? He's not you say the same thing, Rob? Like, you think back when... Like when Elvis came out, the church did not like Elvis. Mm. He was of the devil. Right. Right? Fair enough. So, like some of these things I see, there's a the threat to a lots of things. Mm. the first to go through, I don't think, mm-hmm. some of this stuff, right. Elvis was one of them. And the Beatles showed up. That was another oh, okay. one. Like all this stuff, you go, gee, that must be of the devil. Mm. Right? Okay. Well, okay. Does anyone want to help uh, answering that comment or that question? Basically, I think what I'm hearing is the, the point is that, well, there's not really much difference. But there, that's just sort of a that's subjective. It's a cultural kind of thing that the church, uh, a bandwagon that the church jumped on and, and said, no, we don't like rock and roll music, for mm-hmm. example. So that's of the devil, so we're, we're going to hate that, so it's wrong. Is, there, is that basically what we're talking about here? Okay, well, let's talk. Um, well, I think, I, I think the question then is, like, he, uh, Art would be addressing, well, sin has always been a part of it, and mm. there's nothing new under the sun. Mm. There's no, like, we will always be dealing with brokenness and, and our right. world going this way. But I agree with what you're saying, where in First Peter says, you know, in the last days, it's going to get darker. There is mm. actually an increase in what right. Scripture says, which means yeah. there's a deviation from... Right. Uh, in one sense, you see the challenge of does it actually get darker? Mm-hmm. Does Scripture actually say it get darker? Or, yeah. you know, is that actual truth? Is, hmm. is that a reality? Or Because it's been saying it's going to get darker for the last 2,000 years. So okay. it would almost be the same argument. We'd say, well, it's Jesus returning. Exactly. Okay. Well, does anybody see a difference? Go ahead, Everett. Well, and then Ken. The way, I, the way I see it, or partially mm-hmm. see it, I guess, is just that 
when I look at it, when I walk into a public school, mm -hmm. I see these beautiful things like honesty, courage, all right. of that. Great but it's ideas. a counterfeit. Mm. And um, it's a counterfeit because where those things, the, the source of those things are no, no longer God, right. but mm. uh, something else. And, right. um, and with the whole gender marriage thing, mm -hmm. there's a counterfeit mm. because now it's come to the place where uh, to be only heterosexual mm. um, is disgusting for some. Sure, we're called um, names like we're called binary, I think. Yeah. yeah, and so there's, it's escalated, it mm. seems to yeah, me, into a counterfeit okay. of taking what was good, God-ordained, mm -hmm. uh, but um, um, distorting it, I guess, right. would be the word. So that's okay. part of how I see it. I appreciate that. Good. Ken, you were going to say something? Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure I would come out on this as much as just to add to the discussion. Huh. The, you know, the Elvis example is is a fair one in the sense mm -hmm. that this was something new on the scene that, that was counter what was considered acceptable. Right. And, and yet it was considered rebellion, you know, like rebel, mm. without a, rebel, rebel with a cause. Right. You know, he was, you know, these kinds of movies that were coming out, the kind of media mm -hmm. that was the promoting these things was using words like rebellion and and so people understood I, I mean I take your point I, I like your point the fact that people would s do wrong but they'd say hey I know it's wrong but I don't care right and that's that's really different from now where they're saying no we're we're saying this isn't wrong we're creating a whole new value system here mm -hmm. but exactly. that said you know the the people of the 60s weren't afraid to call what they were going through a revolution mm -hmm. and and as a revolution they thought they were pushing reset on certain values right, right. and so there is I mean Solomon said look there is nothing new under the sun right you know in a sense art makes a good point that you know people have tried to push reset before and mm -hmm. have a revolution and, and right. create new values um, I was reading a book, a biography actually, about Abraham Lincoln hmm. from like the mid-1800s, and it was shocking how similar some of the, the things they were wrestling with in those days hmm. sounded like now. Interesting. Just like now. Like, they, they were, there were secular people there that right. were saying things about the church mm -hmm. that sounded like I was reading something from the 21st century, but this wow. book was written in the 1950s. Interesting. It yeah. wasn't even a biography written recently. Right. So I think there is something to be said for this mm -hmm. cycle that the enemy has some pretty old tactics that, it's true. that oh, yeah. he uses again and again. Totally true. Well, and I mean the common factor of all of it is us. It's people. Human nature. Yeah. And that's why you see these things running. I think, you know, if I was going to kind of find a difference, I would, I would kind of point to this. And that is, I think in the 50s and 60s, the church got a whiff of something that they couldn't necessarily articulate. And I think it was a le legitimate noticing there's something wrong in the movement that was happening. But I don't think they could articulate it, and I think it just ended up to be like, just toss it all, it's all bad, it's all the devil. I don't think it was all the devil, but I don't think it was not 
any of the devil. That's the first thing. The second thing is, what we're looking at here in the 21st century, it would be really tough to find scriptures against rock and roll particularly, or scriptures against, uh, I mean, there would be scriptures against uh, overt immorality and etc., etc. But here, it's almost... Um, it's almost blatant where the word of God, what God says in his word is not only just sort of vaguely being disagreed with, it's being contradicted completely. And it's happening over and over. And I think it's happening in an accelerating way uh, to the extent that it's pretty clear that the Bible is being shuffled off as a standard of anything. Yeah, go ahead, Ken. It wasn't, wasn't, I mean, let's, let's take, I mean, I don't, we don't have the, we can't, imagine the whole picture it's mm-hmm. there's so many details to, to recall but I mean in the days of rock and roll starting mm-hmm. it was being called a sexual revolution as well it wasn't mm-hmm. there were right. issues coming up that the Bible yeah. had something to say about absolutely and, you know Playboy started in those right. days and, that's true and so there were people that were pushing pretty hard against moral biblical yes. values I would yeah I would agree Ken I yeah. would agree Okay, as, as fascinating as this is and, and relevant, I'm going to sort of move on because I'm the one facing the clock. And I can see, I can see, I want to make sure you can get to your samosas or whatever it is you get after Actually, that. Actually, after this session, we're going straight to session four. Oh, no. <laughs> okay, well then let me kind of uh, move a little faster. Do we have a grid for this? Well, the answer in some ways is no. Because not not in our country or our countries, and not in our lifetime, but in some ways, well, and some of those things have been touched in terms of the universality of human nature, and that that we find similar themes, you know, all the way through history. But I think yes, we do have a grid for this in a very simple way, and that is the grid. Well, that's the Word of God, actually, and the point I just want to make is that what the church is going through now in the society that has developed around it is actually very much like the first century and the church in the first century. And the, what I'll just sort of say it like this. The, this the Roman, in the Roman Empire, they were a vast empire and they quickly ran, with all their conquests, they ran into a problem and that is, well, now we have to maintain peace somehow and the way they maintained peace was with plurality that is whatever you want to worship whatever gods you worship those gods just make sure you you know you worship caesar once a year just you know once a year just indicate get your little ticket that you worship caesar but anytime after that you can worship whatever god you like and um, it was a very, uh, a very violent society, very much like ours. Um, they had the games; that was their, that was their form of entertainment. And, we have the you know, yeah, we have the yeah, various <laughs> things. Yes, that's right. And uh, so, they had their games. They had their immorality, and which, in other words, anything went in terms of you know how you relate to one another and everything. They had no, no rules. It was very cosmopolitan. And most people could get along in a society like that. They'd find their way, whatever it is that they're into, whatever it is they worship, or whatever. Uh, they could find their way in Roman society, except for the Christians. The Romans and the Christians didn't gel very well. Uh, the Romans, uh, they were suspicious, actually, of the Christians. Uh, they called them atheists, actually. 
Um, it wasn't like the, the Christians were considered to be have some high moral standard. They were considered to be immoral. Um, atheists, because they only believed in one God and not in many gods. That can't be right as far as they were concerned. Uh, they, they didn't like Christians because Christians stayed away from the games, didn't participate in the things that all red-blooded Romans participated in, and neither the orgies and the other sexual escapades that the society was engaged in. They stayed away from those things, so they considered Christians to be aloof and, uh, and suspicious, like, you know, like causing suspicion. Um, uh, you, you know, in their, in, when Christians worshipped, they, they felt that Christians were incestuous, uh, because they were called each other brother and sister, <laughs> and uh, and there were marriage relationships and stuff. They believed that Christians were uh, really weird in terms of their rituals. Drinking blood, that's what they said about Christians. They drank blood in, in nighttime ceremonies and stuff like that. So we need to understand that in the first century, the church was not considered to be self-righteous and narrow-minded. It was considered to be immoral uh, and and worthy of suspicion. Fast forward to today, 2018. It's happening, folks, where a new moral standard has happened, is happening, where our society is saying that its values are higher, actually, than the values that Christians hold. They have the high moral ground, as far as they're concerned. And... Christians are more and more being labeled as haters and narrow-minded and etc., etc., and now immoral, that we don't hold to the morals that our society embraces anymore. So in, in many ways, we don't have a grid for this kind of, you know, the position that we're in, but in other ways we do. All we have to do is look at the Word of God, and I can tell you, again, here's another reason why I'm really happy we're together. The Bible, more than ever, is supremely necessary for the church to get along in the 21st century. We like It's ironic. Well, it's not so ironic. The enemy knows this. The enemy is trying to get the Bible out of our hands. But we need to hold on to it more dearly. And the book of Acts, brothers and sisters, has become, that's our playbook now. That's, that's a special, that's a particularly relevant book to us in these days. How did the early church get along in a society that considered them to be immoral and wrong? And now that opens up a whole other thing. And that is, well, if you think of it that way, I'll just get some ideas. What, uh, you think of the book of Acts, you think of like what Paul went through and kind of put ourselves in that position. What, uh, what are some solutions? What, what can we do? As the church, yeah, go ahead, Dave. Uh, they they prayed for boldness. <laughs> totally. The power. Acts chapter four. They prayed, not that they you know to compromise and everything, but they knew what God told them to do, which was to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. The world told them, actually, the religious leaders told them not to do it, and now they were stuck. They they couldn't disobey God, but they needed boldness to do what needed to be done. So they prayed. Totally right. Got to pray. And you know what? It sounds a little trite, unfortunately. It's not. The church in North America isn't up on this subject. You know, there's so many other nations that have needed, because of persecution, to, they've needed to pray. 
Well, brothers and sisters, we need to learn how to do this in a way that we've never known or needed to know how to do it, I don't think. They also put feet to the street. They yeah. prayed, but they did something about it. You know, they were widows and orphans. Oh, very good. Feeding the mm-hmm. less fortunate, those kind of things. They acted practically. Oh, that's so good, Art. Practically. I wish I could spell practically. There it is. Practically. They acted practically. Uh, they acted on their faith. Practically. Uh, I've got a little quote here from Julian the Apostate. Julian the Apostate was one of the last Roman emperors you know, to really say rah-rah for paganism. Paganism was actually in decline by the, the 4th century uh, A.D., and uh, Christianity was rising. Julian wanted a renaissance of paganism. And, uh, you know, he tried his best to try to drum up some kind of enthusiasm for the pagan faith. And he just couldn't. And he, uh, he wrote a lot about this, actually. And in one of his reviews, he said this. And he's talking about the Jews, and he calls, these, he calls the Christians Galileans. He says this. For it is disgraceful, like he's frustrated, it's disgraceful when no Jew ever has to beg and the impious, the impious Galileans support not only their own poor, but ours as well. All men see that our people lack aid from us. So the Christians were taking care of everybody. And uh, I'll tell you, there's power in that. You know, there's Julian saying, you know, they're taking care of their poor and ours. How do we fight this? Yeah. Very good. Yeah, go ahead, Everell. I was just thinking, well, what came to my mind was educating ourselves so that we, when we are connecting with our neighbors and connecting Mm. with people, we are somewhat informed as to... Even vocabulary, even into in their thinking, yeah, um, will help us to have understanding of people. Yes. Um, sometimes we're kind of isolated. Yep. Uh, and it's, things are moving really quickly, and so we need to be we need to care enough to be informed. Right. We can't just say, "I'm just going to worship Jesus over here mm-hmm. and forget about my context." Yeah. We yeah. can't. Very good. Yeah, go ahead, Ken. They banded together. It's a community. Oh, excellent. Unity. Wow. Unity, community, family. If you're thinking about Acts 4, when those guys were told, never, ever speak in the name of Jesus again, where did they go? Well, went to the community. Exactly. The first thing they did is they went straight to, well, the Greek in that chapter says they went straight to their own. Which is a, it's a beautiful word. It gets translated funny in English, like a little, it's a little bit more watered down, the others or whatever, but it's their own. They went to their own. Brothers and sisters, we've got to go to our own. And we, we've got to gather together in unity. And it says they lifted up their voices together. And again, there's one of those... Remember, the Bible's a translation. It's important to know what it was in the original language. In the original language, together, such an innocuous word is omotimadon, which is an incredible word, which means together, locked arms, moving forward, running forward, running forward, screaming like you're in battle. 
that's the together that they lifted up their voices to thank you. So we've got to find that. Oh, we've got to be like the first century church in that regard. And I mean, I'm not the first person in the first century ever to say we've got to be like the first century church. But I'm saying more than oh there you go they they were asking the lord you know stretch out your hand healing you know to heal and to show signs miraculous things because yeah they understood that they needed the supernatural so wow well, now we're really going and it's time to stop <laughs> and i'm sure we understood right at the outset that we weren't going to solve all these problems right here right we were only going to touch them and talk about them 